production. One of the greatest gurus in the world, the world-renowned pioneer in integrative medicine. Please welcome Deepak Chopra. Deepak Chopra is one of Time Magazine's 100 most influential people. Deepak Chopra. The name Deepak Chopra is synonymous with anyone in the personal development world. Deepak is an expert in the field of mind-body healing, moving seamlessly from the ancient to the ultra-modern. Deepak bridges the gap between the known and the unknown, enabling all those who encounter him to explore and experience the deepest dimensions of life. He has also been named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. Having initially pursued a medical education in India, Deepak later embarked on his medical career in the United States. However, he gradually grew disenchanted with the conventional practices of Western medicine, particularly its heavy reliance on prescription drugs. This disillusionment fueled his passion for holistic medicine and drew him towards the profound practices of the transcendental meditation movement. I had the chance to sit down face-to-face with Deepak at the beautiful Pan Pacific Hotel in Melbourne. We discussed the law of detachment, stepping into the unknown and how to move from a scarcity mindset to attract affluence and wealth into your life. I've always focused on what I value and how I can share it with others. Am I having fun? Am I engaging with people who are fun to be with? And is it making a difference in the world? And I've never seen any scarcity when I approach life that way. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Deepak Chopra is the author of 90 books, many of them New York Times bestsellers. His newest book is Living in the Light. In its essence, this episode highlights how to break limiting habits and belief systems and how to alleviate suffering, an inevitable part of life. My hope is that our conversation allows you to help identify the blocks you have created in your own life and sets you on the path to healing that we all wish to seek. Deepak, I want to start by talking to you about what happened when you were six that changed your life forever. So I was living with my grandparents and uh, my uh, parents were in England at that time. One day we got a telegram that my father had uh, passed all his exams in England. He was now a fellow of the Royal College of Physicians, which in immediate post-colonial India was a big deal. And so my grandfather took me and my little brother out for dinner and to a carnival and to a movie, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. And then that night, maybe out of excitement or whatever, but he died of a heart attack. And so the next day he was taken to cremation and he was brought back as a bunch of ashes in a jar. And my 
one of my uncles said, what's a human being? One day he's taking the kids out to a carnival and the next day is a bunch of ashes. So I guess I must have had my first existential crisis at six. Actually, all children have this at some point in their life. A pet dies or a grandparent dies or a relative dies. And the immediate aftermath of that is uh, what could be called the heebie-jeebies. But most people get over it. I guess I didn't. And your brother, he was very upset in his skins. Yeah, his skin started peeling and, you know, my uh, uncles took him to all the doctors, couldn't find a diagnosis till some healer said uh, he's vulnerable. So he's shedding his skin. When his parents come back, he'll be fine. That's what happened. Obviously, a lot of your work has to do with the mind-body connection and that's just a perfect example of that. I love all your books, but one of my favourites is the one that you wrote on an hour and a half in a plane called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. It has been quite life-changing and it's a, a simple book, but it's a profound book. There is a law that you talk about in there, which is the law of detachment. I wanted to talk to you about that because it's something that I think a lot of us struggle with. And, you know, when we want something and we're striving towards something, that's obviously a good thing and we're putting our dreams out there and going towards it. But also there's that level of not having that needy energy and, and holding on to something too tight. Can you explain to us a little bit about that? Yeah, detachment is not indifference. I mean, detachment is understanding that um, you can only engage in a process. And you cannot engage in the outcome because the process is something you can directly execute. The outcome is always a mystery because uh, there are so many factors that go in the outcome. Furthermore, uh, being attached to the outcome also reveals in a subtle way lack of self-esteem and also scarcity consciousness. Because if you had abundance consciousness and true self-esteem, not bound by the ego, then uh, actually the best way to manifest anything is to be engaged in the process and totally detached from the outcome. It's like when you're studying for an exam, if you're thinking only of the results, you won't have time to study. But if you're studying diligently, the result is guaranteed. I'm walking this road to get there, but if I focus there, I'll stumble here. So walk the road and you'll get there anyway because you're walking the road. A lot of us at the moment around the world, obviously interest rates are rising and there's a lot of people that are finding themselves in situations where they're not having as much financial abundance as what they might have usually. How does one acquire more financial money abundance into their life. But at the same time, I know that you say money needs to be circulated. So it's not something that we should hold on to and keep it stagnated. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Money is a human construct. It's a fiction created by us. Up until we became storytellers, there was no such thing as money. Just like, you know, Everything that we call everyday reality is a human construct. Latitude, longitude, Greenwich Mean Time, nation states, races, 
provisional identities, ethnic, these are all fictional uh, entities, as is money. Money originally was just exchange of values. And uh, then it became barter. You know, I'll give you a haircut, you can fix my shoes. But then that was inconvenient, so we created these symbols of exchange. And uh, initially the symbols were shells or then copper coins or pieces of paper. Now they're digital symbols and soon crypto and all this. So once you recognize that, uh, you know, money is your creation, then you ask yourself, what is the best way to exchange values? I've always focused on what I value and how I can share it with others. Am I having fun? Am I engaging with people who are fun to be with? And is it making a difference in the world? And I've never seen any scarcity when I approach life that way. But if you focus on money and your, you know, your most recent exit, I meet all these young entrepreneurs these days. They're telling me about their most recent exit. And they're very kind of hyper melodramatic and stressed about it. And one exit after another, I've made so many millions, billions. They never think of the final exit, which is called death. Mm. So, you know, when you're aware of your mortality, you don't focus on things like this. You focus on what's joy, what's love, what's empathy, what's compassion. How do I exchange my values? Am I having fun? Am I making a difference? And then the money comes from wherever it is at the moment. Mm. There's a lot of suffering that people experience in life. The Buddha says life has suffering in it. And a lot of suffering comes to our attachment to things. And I wonder for people listening who are suffering in life just generally, what do you believe causes suffering and how does one alleviate that? Hard work, driving ambition, exacting plans are the reason for all suffering. Were we designed for hard work, driving ambition and exacting plans and discipline? Uh, If we were, then we are the only species. Okay, most other species live in the present moment and are very spontaneous in their activity. Human beings actually have a a bigger uh, role and play in the universe because not only can we play, but we can actually understand that if we are totally in the present moment, there's no suffering. All suffering is in imagination, ultimately. Uh, I'm talking about existential suffering. I'm not talking about physical pain, which, you know, happens to any species. And physical pain is actually a very good sign that something is wrong and you need to fix it. But existential suffering comes from not knowing who we are, number one. Number two, grasping and clinging at experience, which is transient. This experience will be over when this interview is over contrast Number three, recoiling from experience, which is transient and ephemeral and impermanent. And number three, identifying with your self-image instead of yourself, your ego identity, and also the fear of death. All these things are actually a result of not knowing what reality is. And this is very difficult for me to convey to people Um, because they don't get it. 
you know, that who you are right now as a physical body mind is a fictional character in a collective dreamscape. And as long as you identify with this body mind and the dreamscape that we call Australia, Melbourne, the planet, then you will suffer. You are not a human being. Uh, the person that you identify with is a transient process in a deeper awareness, which you can call soul, spirit, consciousness, awareness, God, divine, infinite being. Um, and uh, once you identify with that, then this and all that it experiences is actually a play and something to be enjoyed with. If you say, I have a body, you have to tell me which one. Fertilized egg, zygote, embryo, baby, toddler, teenager, young adult, mature adult, old adult, all the way to dusty death. Which one are you? Um, if you say, I'm my mind, well, which one? Yesterday's mind or day before yesterday's mind, do you even remember accurately the mind you had as a 14-year-old or the personality you had as a 14-year-old. So all of that is a process in a deeper domain. Once you shift to that domain, there's no suffering. And this is what all religions, by the way, have told us, but we don't get it because we don't have the experience. You know, when, say, in Christian and theology, kingdom of heaven is within you, how many people actually get that? Or... I and the divine are one. How many people actually get that or behave like that? So it's all very good to have these ideas, but if you don't actually have the experience, we will suffer, and that's the human condition. Very few people have actually woken up from not identifying with their body or their mind or their personality or the world that goes along with this. This, this, and all this goes together. Yeah, Absolutely. As one process. So we all know that we're going to die and some people obviously scared of death, others are not scared of their mortality as much. But I think for a lot of people what scares them more than their death is the thought of others dying, people that they're close to. I know there's obviously you mourn, but sometimes I think that that causes a lot of suffering for people as well. You were very close to your father and he passed away. How do you move through that to get back to a state that that you don't suffer anymore? You know, my father passed away almost now 23 years ago, but I communicate with him every day. And uh, as I did when he was in a physical body. But the experience that we call father or anything else is in consciousness right now. Where am I experiencing you right now? In consciousness, not in the brain. There's no picture of you in my brain. That's called the hard problem of consciousness. So, And by the time I experience you, what I experience has moved on. So by the time you hear these words, they don't exist. Okay, so I'm always experiencing the past, even when you're so-called alive. When you're gone, you're still the same past. And we can communicate, no relationship ever ends. It just transforms into a different frequency of consciousness. I actually communicate with my parents every day. We 
We have something in Australia coming up. It's a referendum, it's a vote, and it's called The Voice. And it basically is about Indigenous voices getting into Parliament. And you would think that most people would be like, yes, I'm happy for that to happen, have Indigenous voices within our Parliament, but there's a lot of people that do not want that. And I wonder what you think about that and why there is this still this divide. You know, you think that we're so forward thinking with everything and accepting, but there are just people that still, this is not something that they would want. Again, these are stages of development. You know, we started as hunter-gatherers and tribes and kind of very medieval thinking, um, even though all of us originated from Africa. I mean, if you look at your DNA, 98.9% is the same as a monkey or a chimpanzee. 65% is the same as a banana. Um, 80% is the same as a mouse. And even a fruit fly has genes which are more or less like yours. In fact, potatoes have more genes than you have. So again, life is a unified experience that differentiated into different domains of experience. And we confuse differentiation with separation. And so once again, I'd say this divide is a result of not having moved on from uh, primitive tribal identities. But now we have a situation where we still have those identities and we have nuclear weapons and cyber warfare and, uh, you know, biological warfare and extinction of species. That kind of thinking ultimately is part of a bigger problem which I think is leading humans to extinction. And um, whether we like it or not, if we deny that, we have another problem, you know, with climate change, mass migrations, extinction of species, climate, I mentioned social, economic injustice, bigotry, racism. Looks like we're headed towards an extinction, which is okay. Because, you know, we are one little planet in two trillion galaxies. There are 700 sextillion stars and people are now telling us that might be 60 billion habitable planets in just the Milky Way galaxy. So you multiply that by two trillion. Um, planet Earth is not even a speck of dust in all the beaches of the world. The other day I went and picked up a piece of dust from the beach and a little wind drifted it away and the beach didn't notice. So human extinction might be nature's way of saying humans were a good experiment that didn't mm. work. Like dinosaurs were a good yeah. experiment too. You've got this beautiful quote. You say that the known is outworn memories of our past. Relinquish your attachment to the known, step into the unknown and you step into the field of all possibilities. I just love that. Can you explain that a bit to us? Everything that you know has already happened. It doesn't exist. Even the words I say don't exist by the time you hear them. By the time you look at me, that's a snapshot of perceptual activity. The known is the prison of our past conditioning. It has no creativity. It has no insight. It has no intuition. It has no real imagination. And it is incapable of transcendence. 
So this present moment and everything onwards is already the unknown. And if you deny it, you're living in an illusion. And as I said, the unknown is the only place for evolution. And the known is a prison. I wonder, you know, people look at you, Deepak, and they think Deepak is a very evolved person. He's written so much. He's taught so many people. Do you still have things in life that trigger you that, you know, or have you gotten your consciousness to such a state where you just let it be? Nothing triggers me, but I do get frustrated. Yes. Which is different, you know, and then I remind myself, who am I to get frustrated? You know, if I walk down the shopping mall here and look at people, each one of them is a universe unto themselves. Mm. And it's a mystery. Their universe is a total mystery. We have certain perceptual things in common, shopping mall, that building, that person. But behind that, every human is a mystery. Mm. What brings you joy in your life? Sharing any insights with those who want to be part of the sharing. Do you still spend a lot of time in meditation each day? Yeah, every day, yeah. Yoga, meditation is my routine, yeah. And how important is that to you? Like, is that that you do that every morning, in the evening? Yeah, no, I meditate two, two and a half hours uh, total. These days I meditate a lot on the mystery of death. And I enjoy that very much because I realize death is also a false construct based on provisional impermanent identities. The baby in me is already dead in a way, other than a memory. Uh, The teenager is dead. Yesterday is dead. So why is death such a problem when, in fact, without death, there's no life? You know, everything goes on and off all the time. You can't have an on without an off. You can't have an off without an on. And experience is always an on and an off. If I put my hand on your thigh and don't move it, after a while you won't know it's there. And then if I move it again, you'll say, what the heck are you trying to do? So (laughs) everything that we experience is on, off, on, off. That's called vibration. And experience is vibration. You can't have a permanent on and you can't have a permanent off. Mm -hmm. The two go together. And uh, once you realize that, then it's all fun. Why do you think that we're here on earth? I think we are here for the divine, whatever that is, the formless, infinite, irreducible, fundamental reality to experience itself in one of infinite ways. So right now the divine is experiencing itself through an insect with a hundred eyes. What is that experience? No idea. Uh, When a honeybee comes back from its grove, it does a waggle dance, which tells all the other bees where to go for the honey. What is that world? So whatever the infinite is, it is experiencing itself in infinite ways right now. And we are one of those ways. And actually, we are a very intelligent way because we can actually transcend to that level and participate in the creation. Do you think that we're here to learn lessons of some sort and there's the idea of karma coming in from past lives and that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, those are part of our stories. Uh, uh, part of our karma applies to the person, not to their fundamental reality. Once you stop identifying with that which you think you are as a person, there's no karma. There's no karma. Karma applies to the fictional character in the collective dreamscape. What is the best advice that you have ever been given? Don't take yourself seriously. What's something that you wish for yourself? Right now, I have no personal um, ambition for myself. I would like to see a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier and joyful world so we can upgrade the illusion we live in. What has been one of your greatest mystical experiences? I'm able to see everyday reality as a lucid dream in a vivid now. And therefore, everything is mystical to me. Everything. I see astral bodies. I see other universes. They're all mathematical fictions in a non-local mind. And now actually our technology is taking there with Web3 and VR mm. and all the experiences that we're having, immersive experiences, which are only going to get better with artificial intelligence and bringing together all these languages. You see, actually everything is a construct of language. Mm. Everything is a story. But until now, our stories have been limited and also they have been compartmentalized. So the biologists have a biological story. The mathematicians have a mathematical story. The physicists have a physicist story. The movie people have their own romantic stories, divine and diabolical. But they're all language stories. They're all different languages. And, the, you know, my domain of expertise, let's say bio, biology or the world of physicians, is actually not privy to most people who don't know the language. Mm. If you don't know biological language, then my world is alien to you. Now with AI, we bring together all these to create super intelligence, which is not consciousness, by the way. No. It's just stories. But that gives us the ability to actually navigate almost infinite worlds, infinite mystical experiences, because we are already in a mystical domain of experience. And this expands. And our technology is actually uh, helping us to expand that. The problem with technology, though, is how we use it depends on our state of evolution. So with the same technology, we can destroy the world or we can resurrect the world. Yes, that's true. Do you have a favorite prayer or saying or mantra? I would say if there was a prayer, it would be thy will be done. What is a life of greatness to you? Did you create joy? That's it. Joy is the ultimate measure of success and well-being. Otherwise, life is wasted. Mm. Deepak Chopra, thank you for bringing so much joy into my life through your wonderful work. You are a true blessing, so thank you for the wonderful you, conversation Sarah. today. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. 
You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. Listener.